0: These are the daily lectionary comments for uh, the second Sunday of uh, in Lent. We're going to look at Genesis chapter 16 and 17. This is uh, Abraham and Sarah and Hagar. And then we're going to look at uh, Mark chapter 6 beginning at verse 1, Jesus and Nazareth. All right, Genesis 16 and 17. We've already seen a couple of instances where God's promise to Abraham is, is threatened threatened first by uh, Pharaoh uh, wanting uh, Sarai as his own wife. Uh, it's threatened again when Abraham offers to Lot to select whatever land he wants. Now it's going to get threatened again. So in uh, this time, it's going to be because, well, in Genesis chapter 15, um, Abraham made the, the comment to God that, you know, he has promised to make him into a great nation. But that he has no heirs from his own body, but Eliezer, a servant in my household, will be my heir. So, but God reassures him that he will indeed, from his own body, uh, produce a great nation. Now, it's 10 years later, and he still has no child. And uh, Sarah, or Sarai at this point, um, hatches a plan. Now this might seem extraordinary to us. Sarai offers to Abraham, or Abram, his uh, a servant. This is actually Sarai's servant, Hagar, so that he can sleep with her, get her pregnant, and and that will be a child from Abraham's own body. Now of course, the the Israelite hearing this text knows full well that it it won't work that way that 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 is 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 poisoning the well, so to speak it's uh it's God has a plan, and that plan involves sarai they they know that, and yet Sarai has this alternative plan which seemed reasonable to her and reasonable to Abram. Now you think how could this possibly seem reasonable well culturally. This was an accepted thing to do. It may not have been desirable, but it was an accepted thing to do. And we'll note that it was Sarai who proposed it. Okay, so it's it's not as though Abraham had an illicit affair. Uh, Sarai proposed this. The reason why is because the whole thing has to do not so much with love and marriage and romance as it has to do with property and inheritance. And if you had no children, you were in danger of losing your entire inheritance sarai also i mean if if abram dies she's kind of at the mercy of whatever happens next now if on the other hand abraham has an actual son that son will inherit everything sarai will be protected and the the way that it would work legally is the child uh uh, would be a, a legal heir and in a sense also legally sarai's child okay So that that was a cultural thing um, that was permitted at that time because of of the way property was handed down. Now, what's interesting here is that uh, Hagar gets pregnant and immediately things fall apart between Hagar and Sarai and Abram, which is not surprising. We can assume, when you read the text, it looks like Sarai is just totally unreasonable. First, she offers Abram this solution. Abram takes her up on it and then she gets immediately angry. But I, I think the better way to read this is to understand that Sarai offered Abram Hagar. When Hagar conceived, Hagar took a bad attitude towards Sarai because you know she, she felt like she was superior to her, even though she was not, she was still a servant. And Abram apparently favored Hagar because Hagar was providing this child and uh made a disastrous mistake here so uh, sarai then got angry at abram and abram uh found himself in a bad situation of course hagar uh leaves and and uh and the, the angel of the lord finds hagar having basically been thrown out she's going to die somewhere in no way she's going to survive on her own like this but uh Sarai has essentially thrown her out with abram's permission you you understand that this is not we're not exalting either Abram or Sarai here, but the angel of the Lord comes to Hagar and basically says, "Go back home with the promise that God has plans for her child also It's not the plan that God has for Isaac, Isaac isn't born yet, of course, but God has a plan." for a child who will be born to Sarah. And that plan involves the creation of this great nation who will be a blessing to all the, the families of the earth. That will go through Isaac. It's not that plan. It is a different plan. But God will take care of Hagar, will take care of her son Ishmael. It will be okay. And, and God directs her to go back home, which she does. Now... uh so so another sort of threat uh is is dodged here um because again the Israelites hearing this text knows that it is a child that Sarai must bear. So we also have the promise in this context, in this reading, that Sarah herself will bear a child. Her name is changed to Sarah, so that's good. From now on, it'll be easy for me to remember. It will now be Sarah, uh it will be Abraham. Uh, he will create a, God will create a great nation. It will be from Abraham's own body and from Sarah's own body. In fact, he even gives the child a name, Isaac. Uh, so that is settled. Uh, even though we've had, uh, we've had a number of threats to God's promise, so to speak, some dramatic irony here, but God is in control. We see God is in control and his plan is going to come through now. Um, As for the sign of circumcision, let's say a few things about that. The sign of circumcision is very interesting in that it is a sign in the flesh, which is clearly meant to indicate the importance of childbearing in God's plan and his covenant. It is a sign in the flesh which celebrates and looks forward to the fulfillment of God's plan through Childbirth. Remember going all the way back to Genesis chapter three, when God says, "I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between her seed and and yours, and her offspring will crush your head." Okay, so we have that, and then we have God's promise to Abraham that from him he will make a great nation, and that great nation will become a blessing to all the earth. We have God's promise to David in Second Samuel seven that one of his descendants will sit on the throne. Forever and ever. We have Isaiah chapter 7. A virgin will will conceive and give birth to a son. Isaiah chapter 9. Behold to us a son is uh, born. To us a son is given. A child is born. A son is given. Again the promise of the coming king. Um, uh, Psalm 8. Which says. Out of the mouths of babes and infants. You have established strength. Because of your foes. In other words. Uh, the the uh, continuation of the human race in every child is one more evidence that God's plan will ultimately be brought to fulfillment and all the things that have undone uh, humanity, um, God has a plan and it will be brought to fruition through childbearing. So this theme runs throughout the Old Testament, and of course, finds its fulfillment when the angel comes to Mary and says, the Holy Spirit, shall come upon you and overshadow you and the child who is conceived in you shall be called the son of God. So we do find out that in fact, God's plan will find its ultimate fulfillment through the bearing of children. And so circumcision is, uh, a, uh, a, an outstanding symbol of that fundamental fact. In Mark chapter six, beginning at verse one, we have Jesus going to his hometown in Nazareth. And um, this this reading here represents an important theme in the Gospels. For, for one thing, in, in, in the, in the, the basic theme is the rejection of God's Son. And, and not just the rejection of the promised child who would come, but the rejection by those who one would have thought would have been most likely to have received him. So, Jesus' rejection at Nazareth is seen as a microcosm. His own people, his own people that he grew up with, are rejecting him. And this is a microcosm of the fact that Israel, his own people, Israel, will reject him. And this is a microcosm of the fact that the world itself, which was made by him, will reject him. In fact, that's exactly the point. Then John makes in his prologue, he came to the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not know him. He came to his own people, and his own people did not believe in him. So, and Luke also makes it much makes more out of this reading. Jesus going to uh, 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 to Nazareth and his rejection of Nazareth uh, is really made almost a, a centerpiece of. Um, of luke's um, uh, telling of the gospel narrative and that jesus rejection at nazareth is seen as it's proleptic it's looking forward to his ultimate rejection at jerusalem and his crucifixion by both the jews who will reject him and the romans who will have no use for him even though he is the very embodiment of god's uh, love and plan for the salvation of the world, there's a great deal of irony here, a great deal of sadness, and it is all pictured right here in the fact that Jesus' own hometown uh, looks upon him with contempt and cannot see in him the, um, you know, the salvation of humanity. And Jesus comment that, you know, uh, uh, only in his own hometown and among his own people is a prophet without honor, uh, and of course he's speaking most specifically to the people of Nazareth but also the the words have a broader application to the fact that the Jewish king has come to the Jewish people and the Jewish people will not have their own king and reject him so this is an important theme in the gospel which is uh which is uh, uh, brought to our attention very early in the gospels here here in John, in in uh, Mark chapter 6 and it will be an important theme throughout the remaining the remainder of the Gospels.